Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Slide from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. I make up words for a living. Our resident Marvel detractor, Chris Evans. Always great to hate on Marvel. It's ironic, given your name, Chris Evans, and you're, you're the star of, like, the Avengers. And Maybe that's the reason why I hate them so much. Deep. You know, like, this guy is distracting all the attention away from me, the true worthy Chris Evans. He's the Daniel Craig of Film Fight Club. I'm not sure what that means, but okay. <laughs> Didn't he, like, hate on James Bond and then took a big paycheck to come back as Bond? Oh, right. We go, we're, we're going deep, yeah, deep this episode. Too deep away early in the episode. Before we've introduced our returning guest. Yes, Debbie Zhao from the Social Film Network. It is so great to have you on. I'm back again. I'm so sorry. I'm here again. Don't be sorry. We love having you on. And we love, we, we loved it so much. We came back to the Fifty Shades Corner. Is that what we're calling it? The Fifty Shades yeah, Corner? Yeah, it is, ironically, in Fifty Shades of Grey. The, the carpet has at least nine or ten. <laughs> beanbags in various shades of grey. We've got the backsides of posters, which are also grey. And to top it all off, there's the poster for Fifty Shades Freed. Don't miss the climax, it says. I still think it's the best pun any movie poster has made in a long time. And it literally has freed us, because now we're free to talk about a lot of things. And we probably will be talking about this film next week, but for now, we're not talking about Fifty Shades Freed. We're talking about a very different film called Lady Bird later in this episode. Uh, which is Greta Gerwig's uh, written and directed film, for which yeah, she is directorial debut. directorial debut. But first, we are talking about a film we have just come out of, which will be opening in cinemas tomorrow, and that is Ryan Coogler's Black Panther, the latest in the Marvel series. We're all about the animal movies tonight. Bird, Black Panther. Oh my god, we are. Oh, you're right. I can't wait for Chris to hate it, Marvel, and I can't wait to just hear about it. You may be surprised. No, Chris. Hate on it. Come on. I, I have a little bit of hate, but, but basically love is flowing through my veins tonight. Not love for Black Panther so much, it's just love for the humanity in general, which may make me a little bit forgiving of this movie. Because this may be a favourite Marvel film, not just for Chris, but for many others. It's, I think it will be. It's uh, Chadwick Bosseman returning as T'Challa, Black Panther. He made his debut in Captain America... The Civil War in 2016. This has Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Martin Freeman returning again from the same film, Get Out, Get Out, Daniel Kaluuya, and Andy Serkis returning into his role as Ulysses Clow from Age of Ultron. Man, it's good to see Andy Serkis in live action. I've always felt like it's a shame that this guy only ever gets seen in every single mocap movie. And you know, he steals the show here. He's having so much fun playing the South African villain. He nails the accent, as I'm sure Glenn can attest to. He okay. He's his accent is about. Look, I I it's grew a up. In, I, South African yeah, the the, the, the yeah. background here is I'm. I grew up in South Africa. His his accent is about eighty percent good, which is better than DiCaprio One in Blood Diamond, well. and quite so. And almost anyway. So I, I I give him credit for doing a pretty great job. It just hit me. Like, did we pronounce Andy like circus as in like actual circus? Because I've been pronouncing it circus. So I'm obviously think, been doing it wrong. I think circus him because he plays like monkeys he plays like a crazy drunk captain he, you know he plays like a weird freaky guy who lives in a cave he's basically all of the people you'd see in an 1800 circus yeah he is nominated for an oscar this year for his role in war of the planet of the apes or he's uh the visual effects of war yeah, the, the planet team, of the apes uh, yeah. 
rather than this film, but we are talking about Black Panther but tonight. Oh, but until we stop talking about Andy Serkis, <laughs> can I just say, this guy has such an interesting look. He really deserves to be seen. He's got a great character actor face to match his performance, and really, doesn't he steal the show here? He does. Um, everyone might remember a film from a couple of years ago. Oh, what was it called? The Matt Damon, Jodie Foster film uh, where it was Elysium. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a terrible film, but there was the uh, famous South African actor, Charlotte Coppola, the South African actor from The Brilliant District 9, who plays a not dissimilar character to Andy Serkis in this film, and I think similarly, he just, yeah, he just takes, blows it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, he does. Black Panther, this, I, I did really enjoy this. I'll say it is very much along the Marvel stick, but it distinguished itself in two ways. The first is that, unlike almost, if not every other Marvel film, it was happy to tell a self-contained, interesting story which I appreciated, not feel the need to link back and forth in with the broader Avengers universe. The other thing I'll say is we don't see a lot of blockbusters which focus on Africa or African culture, and this did, and it went into quite some detail in that. And for someone who did grow up in Africa and cares very much about African culture, I really appreciated it. And for that, I really did love it. I give this film full credit. Yeah, I... I agree Marvel should be commended for both of those things. I think they made a real effort to make a film that honors African culture and fuses it with this pulp sci-fi stuff. There's some pretty cool design stuff in here. There's a moment where we see a marketplace with futuristic, kind of like something out of Elysium, to be honest, but way cooler, you know, with the kind of like colorful Marvel aesthetic. Yeah, that was really nice. Not, not, not a slum, notably, like as we saw in Elysium. That's one distinguishing feature. Um, and I also, I agree that it's great that I was not distracted by constant ads for other Marvel movies as they tend to do. We saw Terry Brossman take on this role in 2016. It is a challenging role, it is an interesting role. It is a role that is steeped in not just the history of African culture, but also is interesting in many respects to modern and recent American culture. And while it is more Michael B. Jordan's and other characters who address these facets in this film, I feel each actor, including Forrest Whitaker, who I haven't mentioned, uh, really pulled off the roles with a plum. With comic book films, strictly ones which are semi-serious like this, you have to do the campy um, out there stuff which Andy Serkis is better known yeah. for with the down, down to have serious aspects which were intrinsic to this film and I feel um, each of the main actors really did it quite well yeah I think it was really interesting with what you were saying about um, it bringing it into the African American experience um, and I think that's what they were trying to do with um, Michael B. Jordan's um, villainous character um, I think with the villain Marvel always kind of struggles to have a good villain and especially in this one I think there is a lot of sympathy for his character and the backstory that his character is given makes him a more complex character than I guess most villains which can become one quite one note yeah I, I think they did a pretty good job of um, the now cliche to to have a morally ambiguous villain where in here they actually have some nice scenes towards the end that make you look past the, a little just a little bit the fact that he's a total psychopath mm. um, not, I not, think he's still made he's still to become a ty- I think yeah I think he's it becomes too much, too much. and okay. I think that Kylo Ren is the best recent example exactly and we were just talking about Last Jedi and the fact that Kylo Ren you do still root for him you exactly, really you yeah. want him to be it, something it else it makes a lot of sense to compare this to The Last Jedi because they're both going for a kind of Shakespearean ideal I think with the you know the people battling for power and the fire Father, the uncle exactly mm. um, betrayals in the family but I think the last Jedi did it a lot a lot better but back to the Black Panther <laughs> I think 
Daniel Bru- Daniel Brühl's role in Civil War, we saw a character who was, for the first time in the recent Marvel iterations, someone who was not, you know, one note evil, but was decidedly complex and different, had very different motivations. And I feel they try to pursue this again. And I think they did it much better with this role. You find out more about him. It is that classic dynasty aspect we saw in Star Wars. I feel also the supporting actors in this film were really fantastic. Not only is there Black Panther, but there's a whole cohort of people who support him and go out on missions to Seoul and all else places. And so the action scenes were really, really good. I agree with you that there is a very interesting supporting cast of characters here, but I think the problem is that it revealed that the main is not that interesting. The Black Panther is going through, I think, pretty standard, um, you know, he's being challenged, he has to live up to his legacy. I didn't find him that interesting a guy, so when it's about T'Challa really going up against the elements, I didn't care so much. I thought, yeah, I guess I don't mind if he gets replaced by his sisters or something. If, if he falls, which is not something I should be thinking in a heroic fantasy. With regards to the action, there was more creativity shown here than there is in a lot of the Marvel films, but I still felt a little bit disappointed by it. Ryan Coogler showed that he can direct a mean action scene in Creed, and uh, he brings some of the brutality we saw and some of the fluidity of those fight sequences. But in this movie, it has the problem There are two that- good great tracking shots. Yeah, there are some nice tracking shots. But the problem is, I think for me, it's so hard to overcome how bouncy and weightless CGI is. In the, you know, you, you start to lose a sense of the stakes. And I was losing a sense of the stakes while people are just like bouncing around, flying around in here. It's still better done than it usually is, but it was a notable um, detracting point from the film to me. For me personally, um, what I'm bringing it back to what Glenn was saying about the supporting characters and the female supporting characters in particular. That was really notable. Um, yeah, really notable, I think, in particular, this film in the fact that they are like one of them is a romantic interest, but she doesn't even have much to do with that until the very, very end of the film. Um, and otherwise, they are there to help Black Panther and they all do their own kind of jobs you know what i mean like they all have their own agency um and they're able to fight their own fights as well so it gives it kind of that extra layer of story that i think goes beyond black panther and that you can root for black panther but also the people that he surrounds himself with now i've yet to see black panther but uh, one sort of hesitancy i did have with it and i'd like the sophisticated panel to weigh in on this was how did marvel balance different aspects of what it had to deliver in this movie for example it had to satisfy the blockbuster hungry crowd it also had to you know deliver something meaningful in terms of the actor experience but also at the same time move away from the template of the marvel movies and deliver something fresh how did it actually balance all these different aspects i think this this movie is goes much to my pleasure the furthest from the Marvel formula we've seen for a while. It has some surprising plot directions later in the film. In many ways, it felt more like a James Bond movie to me. It's got the Q Lab, the car chases, the underground nightclubs with heavies as security guards and all hell breaking loose. But towards the end, it becomes much more familiarly Marvel, maybe for the last like 20 minutes or so. One of the only Marvel-like elements that was really strongly through the movie is unnecessary humor being injected into a lot of scenes or over-explained humor but um, that was kept down to a minimum. This is actually quite a serious film. I think people are going to like it because it's still within the mold of a contemporary blockbuster, which means there's a lot of shared DNA with Marvel. It just doesn't feel so suffocatingly trapped within the Marvel box as a lot of their recent films have felt to me. 
think we're just picking up on your comments about James Bond. Um, I am a fan of the series, and Skyfall came out in 2012, and there is a sequence in this yeah, film like which uh, not only took place in what I think we both took to be the same Casino Macau setting as Skyfall, here doubling as Seoul. Oh, it was Busan, I think, actually. It was nice to see another Korean city other than Seoul. Oh, it was Busan, excuse me, yes, it was, it was, it was Busan. But the action in the scene actually kind of evolves in the same way as Garfield to the point that he's actually telling that people are wandering around with their hands over their ears. It was really quite uh, frustrating. But the one thing I did really enjoy about this film is there were sequences where, um, due to the mythology of Black Panther, characters ascend at times to a different a psychological metaphysical they basically plane. <laughs> right and there's it's quite elegant and beautifully done but there's one sequence where a character does this later in the film and it is a subtle reference to how this metaphysical plane relates to different characters but it was touching it was authentic and it was a hark back to an early in the film which i think was handled especially well yeah i think a lot of people were kind of find this a very different Marvel film and in particular I think it's because of the diversity of the cast and the fact that it isn't an African-American story and in that way I don't think we've ever really seen a Marvel movie that's really tried to champion um, voices like this and I think you know last year it was Wonder Woman the fact that we got a female directed superhero movie a female protagonist um, and in this case it's an African-American cast um, and director and it really really comes through that does come through because it felt like it was genuinely about political interest to black people without feeling like it was written by a committee trying to score woke points like Spider-Man Homecoming was (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, one of the problems I had with this movie on another note is I felt like it it follows this formula we've also seen in Captain America Civil War where first you think it's about one thing, then there's a flashback twist reveal and then suddenly the movie's about something else. But I think in the wait for it to become about something else, it kind of loses momentum and it could be a stronger film if it played its cards down earlier and was more emotional and was more about dealing with what it ends up being about in the end all throughout the film. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the emotional intensity of the, this movie isn't as strong as something that I felt in Wonder Woman. I just didn't feel as... I agree. One more thing I'd like to say about it is Marvel movies always have really bad soundtracks, in my opinion, just totally boring. This is the best one they've had in a while because it's got, you know, they're going for like the tribal feel. So there's lots of beats. It's, it's taking inspiration from contemporary dance music and also from trap um, it, there are some sounds you're not going to expect to hear in a Marvel movie soundtracking the action scenes and even just the conversation scenes. And, you know, that was pretty cool. So props on that for Marvel. Keep trying and maybe one day you'll make a great film. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so that was the possible prequel to what one day could be a great film, Black Panther, which is in cinemas everywhere tomorrow. What is also in cinemas tomorrow is Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, Lady Bird. And it is also written by her. It is avowedly, in some senses, autobiographical. Set in Sacramento in 2002 and starring Cheshire Ronan as Christine Orr, this, as she is in the film, the self-titled Lady Bird. It stars Laurie Retcalf as Lady Bird's mom and Lucas Hedges, Timothy Chalamet, among others, as um, young men at her high school and important figures in her life. It is a coming-of-age story, which has done very well in terms of Oscar nominations. It's scored a Best Picture nomination and Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. Debbie, what did we think of Lady Bird? So Lady Bird, um, I think it was a really beautiful and warm depiction of it, like that period of teenagehood. I think if you've had you know, those teenage experiences, you're going to see a lot of that reflected in this movie. So you won't like it since you were never a teenager? <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like I skipped that part of you know my life. Um, but what definitely resonated in this movie for me in particular was the mother-daughter relationship. And I think that for me is the strongest sell point of this movie. And it's so warmly and authentically depicted, I think, in the way that you know both of the personalities often argue and clash with each other, but they always somehow manage to you know show a bit of that love or that affection in a different sort of way. And I think what Greta Gerwig has achieved here with Saoirse and with Laurie Metcalf, who play the mother and daughter respectively, is something that is really strong and, yeah, really, really nice. I have so much to say about Lady Bird, but I'll try to be concise and contain my emotions as best as I can. <laughs> but uh, pardon me if I do become emotional in this diatribe of thoughts. Lady Bird is my pick for the Oscars across the board for everything, and not because it is a coming-of-age story and because coming-of-age stories have been widely rewarded since time immemorial. What is new or special about this is several things, but let me just break it down if I can. Firstly, it's a love letter to the Midwest. It's about a small town, Sacramento, and it's not about the Big Apple. It's not the big city story. It's about the small town, the small lanes, and it's interesting about how the people of that town are a community, but at the same time are almost ashamed of being from there. And actually, it's an interesting dichotomy that plays out about Lady Bird herself is very ashamed to admit that she comes from Sacramento and often disguises the fact and says she's from San Francisco, not Sacramento, in the film plenty of times. And that's a little nice little diatribe there. But also at the same time, it's all about parenthood, growing up, about depression, there's a coming out narrative. There's a lot of stuff ensconced in there. And there are a lot of people, and people I thought I knew. Because growing up, these are the people that I've encountered, whether it was Timothy Chalamet's character as Kyle. You know, these are the people I've met in real life, and they are... They were just very real, and I kind of like that. I think it's time to take back filmmaking in a very intimate sense, and I'm very happy with that. There's a lot to respond to in what you were saying with all these elements you noted that the film touches on. I think the film touches on too many elements because I felt like a lot of these things don't go deep enough because they're not afforded enough screen time, and the movie's kind of like a throwing things at the wall approach. I felt like all of these things were, were well presented. I just wanted more of them within these this narrative. To zero in on the depiction of Sacramento. I felt like for the importance that ends up having to the film at the end, the love of the city of Sacramento that she has below the surface wasn't, you know, really depicted well enough throughout the film or wasn't enough of an element until it suddenly emerged at the climax. I'd compare this to Patterson, which is all about the ways that a town that you live in and the, the little details of it become part of your life and get under the surface of your skin. When you compare it, it to the approach that movie took, this movie almost never featured wide shots. It goes for the very intimate depiction where every shot is focusing on the, just the characters. Very rarely do we actually see much of Sacramento. And I feel like if this was to be a major theme of the movie, especially given that it has a very fast paced, almost montage-like approach, they could have snuck in a little bit more of the subtle appreciation with some shots of the, more of the sights, more of the light, the trees, the bends in the road, rather than smacking us in the face with that at the end. I found it interesting reading about this film that Greta Gerwig reportedly drove people around her home area in Sacramento, where she grew up, to demonstrate autobiographical aspects of the film and to get people prepared for the narrative. I really liked the treatment of the zeroing in on the small town. I feel the way they tried to bring it back to this at the very end wasn't as conducive to the effect that they wanted. I feel at the end there were two elements there were 
were trying to really address. One was the element of location and the other element which played a major part in it as it did in Coimbatore name which is the treatment of religion. We saw in in this film she goes to a Catholic school and religion plays a huge role in her life but it is negotiable. It is changing and it could be seen as flippant given the way it addresses, um, well at least she addresses, at least the film addresses some of the authority figures but um, as we learn in much later on it's deceptively deeper than that. It is much more complicated than the film I think much better than its treatment of location and place does address this in a lot of more detail at the end and that's something I really did appreciate not about about calling my name but also about Ladybird. Yeah, I agree with Chris in terms of the film trying to cover a lot. Um and I think in particular it it does a lot of the tropes that I didn't really expect it to do. So I did it I expected it to be more original and and different in terms of some of the tropes that it has with, you know, a best friend and the her boyfriends and and even things to do with religion and Christianity um in the terms of like the school that she's grown up in and conformity and how she breaks away from that. In that respect, I think that you know, it's kind of a very surface depiction of a lot of those teenage experiences. And I know a lot of people have been comparing it to Frances Ha because, you know, Greta Gerwig also co-wrote and, and starred in that movie. And I love Frances Ha and I very, like, I connected on, like, with it on a very deep level. And I think what's so strong about Frances Ha and compared to Lady Bird is that Frances Ha simplifies its storytelling into this thing about growing up and about female friendships um whereas i think with this movie it does try to cover a lot of ground and i wish and i wish it just zeroed in on the mother-daughter relationship because for me that was as i said the strongest part of the movie that's interesting you bring that up debbie because for me it did feel like the female friendships were the central focal point of the film whether it is the mother-daughter relationship or with her and her best friend i think them growing through high school together was a very integral part of how i experienced not just a narrative but also her changing emotions towards sacramento itself initially she thinks of her town as you know the place where she wants to be and then eventually that evolves into something that she wants to leave behind but also at the same time mm-hmm. there is this reverence that comes back to it so i like that kind of narrative style where you try to wrestle with your own emotions towards not just a place but also towards the relationships with other people you have and also just the very very nuanced depictions of let's say depression which you don't get in cinema very two very polar opposites how they're taken to i'm not going to detail because of spoilers but it's something that i don't get to see in that sort of very intimate style often depression is used as a you would say a token sort of throwaway line or a blatant narrative arc or a plot device but here i think the way it was treated and how it affects real people and the people around them i thought it was very sensitive i'll agree um the, there's some nice small details about the priest and his depression that i found very affecting in this film and i also thought the father was a really interesting character maybe the most interesting to me he's a sort of character we don't often see on screen in the way that he deals with his depression while still maintaining a sort of outward friendly appearance to the world I think there's so many moments in this film that are absolutely utterly authentic. Um there's one with the father and his daughter where he knocks on the door and she says how do you know uh, and just, and and he she says how do you know it's uh well, he says, how do you know it's me? And she says, mom would, you know, never knock. <laughs> and, you know, we've That's all experienced good. things like that, whether it's her approaching a crush in a supermarket or an interact or a very heartfelt and challenging and conf- confronting interaction with a mother in the kitchen uh, later in the film. 
there's this is written this is a film of clearly clearly of not just lived experience one person but lived experiences i feel anyone who grew up uh in certain circumstances could watch and relate and feel this film and while there are i do feel at times it does try to pack too much in there are relationships particularly the one with lucius hedges character which evolves very quickly in almost issue of consciousness type way i did appreciate um, that they did try to cover the screen. I don't want to go into what happened with the relationship because, again, spoilers, but um, that, more so than the relationship with the Chalamet character, is supremely touching and something, just as with the priest, I could have seen a lot more of. Yeah, um, with regard to you saying it uh, goes in a stream-of-consciousness kind of style, that really sums up a lot of the film, doesn't it? Because it's it's really the reason why I think maybe me and Debbie don't feel it touches on things with as much depth as it could have is because it's such a fast-paced blur. I think she's going for like the crazy feeling of when you're a teenager and you're so excited about things and things just keep on happening. And she definitely captures a lot of those moments. Um, and especially what you were saying, Marat, about the best friends and how you know that kind of is reflected about um, on, on Lady Bird's own growth and her distance from Sacramento itself. I took that as kind of her best friend becoming a plot device for her own growth instead of me actually really understanding who that best friend is and why their friendship is important um and how long you know you know her childhood best friend i didn't i didn't get that um from the get-go and that's why by the end of the movie you know where she um there's some type of like reuniting and an understanding between them i didn't really care at that any i didn't really care that much it didn't feel like a connection between sacramento and her best friend i didn't see that connection it came up as necessary to the plot so many times. That may be right, but I'm going to go back to the initial feeling I had, which was this film is a nice film, and often what we say about nice films are they're just nice. You know, no, I agree. And, and I feel like that's putting them down in some way. That, you know, it's difficult to make a really, truly nice film, and we don't get truly nice films that make you feel good and nostalgic and nice about things around you and appreciate what we have. And often I think that's what I really like about Lady Bird. It made me less cynical. And that's difficult to do in today's movie climate. Well, I'll respond to that very nice sentiment by being extremely cynical. No, um, <laughs> the, I, I agree. As you often do. <laughs> I agree that it is a very nice movie. And I, I agree that that's not, a, that's not an easy thing to do. I actually did really like this film, but I'm cynically going to get into some nitpicks here. Um, I felt like this movie, one of the things that makes it so nice is it's really about acceptance. Like the, the deep love that is like coming to grips with irresolvable conflicts, sometimes you know, trying to reach a point of acceptance especially with regard to the mother and daughter relationship. But I felt like sometimes the movie doesn't bring that kind of acceptance and generosity to the other characters. Like Kyle, who is a dick, right? Timothy Chamelet's character. But um, it's only hinted towards why he might be a dick. But I feel like in a movie about, you know, sort of the theme of like looking back, there's, there's a bit of like nostalgia in the way this movie is made. It's, it's like someone looking back on their teenage years at the same time that it's trying to convey like what it's like to live it in the moment. I feel like it could have dealt with a little bit more nuance and depth into looking at why a person like this can be so horrible. He's not the focus, but it's, he's an interesting part of the film. And another moment that I think really let the film down is a moment involving Lady Bird speaking to a counselor against abortion. 
I felt like it was a moment where the movie had no emotional generosity towards this abortion counselor and was really in a manipulative and cheap way pitting the audience against her. Um, and I, yeah, I thought, felt like that was out of place with the emotional generosity that this film is ostensibly in, and convincingly so most of the time about. We have to remember, though, that this took, film took place at a very different time, not just in general life, but in American life, and it's referenced throughout obliquely 2002 um, during, it takes place at the well, time discussions of invasions of Iraq immediately post 9-11, and in many senses it was a surreal and uncertain time. I think that's reflected in a lot of the character interactions of the film. My absolute favourite takeaway from the film is a moment towards the end where Lady Bird is going through um, some correspondence between her and her mother and it is a very elegant moment which I think is too semi-reflective of what could very well have been part of the creative process. Gerwig wrote this over many many years and it seems to be a conflation and um, of so many different ideas and concepts and themes which by and large while it's cluttered in parts do work very well together and have merited at the awards consideration and plaudits it has garnered. Absolutely. So I think that last scene in particular really kind of emphasised the fact that the mother-daughter relationship is the strongest element of that movie and that it's so powerful, um, their relationship, and the way that it's so authentically depicted. It's so real. Um, and, yeah, I think that tension is it's still there until the end, but it's, there's, you get a little bit of relief there as well. I've said a lot about this movie, but all I'm going to say is this movie made me feel really warm and fuzzy inside, and that doesn't happen often enough, so please go and see it. Um, we have to wrap up in a moment. Uh, Lady Bird and Black Panther are both in cinemas tomorrow. Um, so this has been us from the Fifty Shades Lounge at Event Cinemas. That's what we're going to call it now. I'm going to come back because there are just, there are just beanbags sitting here, and it's, it's really great. So yeah, do check it out. Even when the poster goes away, this, this corner will still be Fifty Shades of Grey. So... Debbie? This is our love letter to the Fifty Shades Lounge. This is the ladybird of our times. Uh, you heard it here first. Yeah, we should wrap up this episode of Film Fight Club with, with us waxing lyrically about <laughs> how this, this place shaped us and made us who we are. It's interesting you talk about and, waxing when I can look at Jamie Dornan's pretty waxed chest right now in front of me. And with, with that mental image for all listeners, Debbie, I'd like to uh, thank you for joining us for a second time. It has been absolutely fun, and you can catch Debbie's work on the Social Film Network. Thanks so much. I should be made permanent now. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back next week. Enjoy movies. Good night. Be nice to people. Good night. Bye. <laughs>